Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. My name is Bradley Hamilton, and I'm one of the student pastors here, and I just want to take a second to continue in this part two to say we are so excited to continue Love Where You Live. And the idea of love where you live, we started last week talking through this idea of when Jesus said to love your neighbors, we take that and go, yeah, I love some of my neighbors. And I love the neighbors down the street who go to the same parties as me. I serve in my church and I love our community that way and that's the way I love my neighbors. I give to organizations that help neighbors that I haven't met yet and what they're going through. And all of those are great ways that we love our neighbors. We believe in those as a church, but what we tend to do is forget that our neighbors are also our neighbors. And when Jesus said to love your neighbor, that term was actually a proximity term, which meant he meant literally people you are near by. And what's so tough about this is that we didn't choose our neighbors. No, we chose our house, our lot, our apartment, and then they moved in next to us. The ones who look different, who smell different, who smoke something different, who play music too loud, who talk too loud or too much, they chose the house next to us. And now we have been put into a forced relationship called neighbor. What we wanted to look at is what if that's not by accident? And what if there's actually a purpose to where you've been placed. What if when Jesus said to love those you are nearby, he actually meant those that you are nearby? And what's really cool is that we actually have a role that we get to play out as neighbor. And so what we did last week, we started off with this challenge and I threw up this house matrix that kind of showed you essentially have five neighbors. Now you might have to use some creative license to move what your lot looks like or whatever, but essentially pick five. You have about five people that you are around all the time. And last week's challenge was really easy. We just said, will you just start by learning their names? And that might seem simple. That might seem easy. Some of you who like checklists are like, got it done. I'm on this. But there's actually a huge importance to knowing their name. Because what we looked at last week is that there are people all around you that actually need to be seen. They need someone who sees them. And we get so busy going along with our Google calendar and our checklist and what we have to do that we often forget the people right around us. And so we said last week, just start by learning those who God has placed you around. And if you can begin to stop and see them, maybe that's where your purpose will start. Maybe that's how you start with loving where you live. Now, I don't know how you did last week with your challenge. Uh, my wife and I actually realized as we were sitting down and looking at this that we didn't know the neighbor's name to her right. And we hadn't really seen her a lot. She's not really outside of her house. We've just kind of seen her in passing. And so we still didn't know her name. And so we were gonna take this challenge seriously. And last week, this was the craziest thing. We haven't seen her probably in months. And on the way home after Sunday, she's in the driveway. So we thought this is our chance. This is our moment. So we're pulling in the driveway. We kind of wave at her, but she's doing something sort of in her car around the garage. And so we can't see her fully when we pull in, but we think we're gonna make sure we get out and talk to her. And so I think, you know, grab the baby because everyone, that's a great conversation starter. And so we're gonna park and Jamie grabs the baby and we kind of stand out in our driveway and she's still facing the other way and can't really see us. And so we're just sort of waiting for her to turn around. And then I think this is really creepy. 
Like she's gonna sit up and turn around and just see this odd family like waiting for her in the driveway. And I'm already a pastor, which is weird enough. And so uh, we just got talking. I was like, "Ah, maybe this isn't best. Maybe we should wait a second. And so my wife and I decided this is a little too weird. We'll wait until we see her again. And so we still do not know her name. And we failed at our week one challenge. And so if that's you, if you're with me and you failed somewhere along the way, that's okay. There is still time. In fact, what we're gonna do every single week is just expand that a little bit. And I'm gonna keep going back to this matrix because I wanna get super, super practical. I'm just a pretty practical person. I like tangible things that I can do. And so we're gonna make sure that we can truly intentionally know that we are loving where we're living. And so that's what we're gonna expand into week two. Now, to, to kick off week two, I actually wanna tell you about a guy that you might not know much about, and his name is John Newton. And John Newton was born in London in the 1700s, and he was born to a Christian family. And he grew up going to church and listening to the, the faith of his parents and then Somewhere along the way, he decided to leave that faith to walk away from the church, to rebel against the church. And he ended up becoming a sailor, which at the time was a pretty rough occupation to be in. And he actually developed this reputation for being one of the roughest sailors of his crew. And throughout his career, he raises up the ranks and he eventually becomes a sailor on one of the ships for the slave trade. And so his life is about as far off as it had started. And he now sails the coast of continents looking for human cargo to transport. And then this one moment takes place that changes everything for John. And his, this big storm captures his ship. It threatens to murder him and his crew. And it's in this moment of tragedy and of being afraid for his life that he does what a lot of us do in these kind of moments. He began to call out for the God of his childhood. And he began to pray out to God and go, God, I know I haven't really talked to you and I know we don't have a relationship and uh, my parents have talked about you. And if you're real, uh, God, would you save me in this? I will give this all to you. I I hate what I've been doing. I hate the life I've been living. I will turn this back. And so that was his prayer that night. Well, then they survive, they make it through. And so John decides I'm gonna quit sailing. I'm gonna turn from this lifestyle. He goes home, he quits his job. He renounces the slave trade completely and he begins to follow after Jesus. Well, this would lead him to plant a church, to become a minister and, and to begin living his life saying everything I was doing was in such, this, such a wrong place and the things I was doing was wrong. Well, he has such this burden for what's happening on the slave trade that he publishes this book and I'm gonna forget the, the title of it, Thoughts on the Slave Trade. And he collects and records what was happening and the atrocities that were taking place. And it's this book that was used by William Wilberforce to eventually end slavery in Britain. And toward the end of his life, he sits down, he's trying to write out this um, just crazy grace that he felt God had given him. Because he couldn't help but get over the shame and this guilt and this burden he was carrying for the person that he used to be. And as he's writing this word and he's trying to think on who was I and what has God done, the only word he could come up for himself was a wretch. And so he writes this song that he hopes all believers kind of realize the grace that God has given them and where they started. And he says, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that would save a wretch like me. We love these kind of stories. We love to believe that even the bad in someone can turn good. It's these kind of stories that movies are made about. It's these kind of stories that books are written about. We love to have hope that no matter how far or how far gone or how removed, there is hope that God can do something in your life. And we love to surround and come around these kind of stories. But we have people in our lives who we don't always have the hope for. And there may be some neighbors that we think are too far gone. 
We wouldn't say it out loud. We wouldn't announce that. But deep down somewhere, we just feel like they're too far gone. They're too far removed. Some of us even feel this way about ourselves. That we are too far gone, that we're too messed up, that we've done too much. And yet if you read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're sort of just to the right half of your Bible. They account the, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus and all of his interactions. And if you look through the gospels and read about the accounts of Jesus, you will see that Jesus never saw anyone that's too far gone. Jesus never saw anyone that's too messed up. Jesus never saw anyone as having done too much. Jesus never saw anyone as being too outcast. And what you will see time and time again is that these are the ones he goes after the most. These are the ones he spends time with. These are the ones he hangs out with and invests in and takes time out of his schedule to talk to and to be around. That's Jesus. And so no one is too far gone. Whether that's, you feel like that's you or you feel like that's the person next door who doesn't follow the HOA rules. There is nobody who is too far gone for Jesus to make an impact in their life. And one of the accounts we've been looking at is an encounter that Jesus has with a guy who society saw as too far gone. Society saw this guy as, as having no one would ever invest in him. No one would ever give him a chance, especially not the religious leaders. And so if society had labeled anyone as too messed up or too far gone, it was the guy we talked about last week. And I'm just going to pick up where we left off. I'm actually going to read the same passage. So if you missed last week, you'll just be all caught up to speed. It's in Luke 19, starting in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. And I love that Luke made sure that was in there. So he ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your house today. Now, last week we talked about the fact that he stopped and saw Zacchaeus. And that is so essential because that's where it all started. That Jesus had a place to be. He was headed to Jerusalem. He had a full Google calendar. And yet he stopped on his way to see somebody who needed to be seen. And he calls him by name. And just that interaction alone begins to change everything for Zacchaeus because he needed to be seen. And so our point last week was, who are the people around you that need to be seen? Who are the people around you that you can stop and notice? But then Jesus doesn't stop there. And here's where we're going this week. He doesn't just stop and see Zacchaeus in his spot of need, in his spot of investigating Jesus. He then says, I'm coming to your house. Now, a couple of things here if I was Zacchaeus. The first one is, I'm thinking, okay, you want me to come out of this tree? I just climbed up this thing to get away from this crowd I have sandals in a robe. This wasn't easy. As Luke has so nicely pointed out, I am incredibly short. And so I have worked my way up this tree to avoid this crowd. Now you stopped the crowd, pointed me out, and asked me to climb back down? That was Jesus' first ask. And then the second thing is I would think, wait, you're, you're coming to my house when? Today? Now? Something about me, and I am not proud of this. One of my greatest fears in life is that someone would come over to my house unannounced. I don't know why this is in me. I am working on it. My wife is helping me in this, but I just, I, here's the thing. I don't appreciate the whole like, hey, I'm just stopping by. Um, and I know they say, oh, that's fine if it's family or friends. I don't care who you are. Don't do that. Okay, give me a heads up. Like I said, I'm working on it, but there's just something in me that wants everything to be perfect. 
I don't know if it's the, the host side of me. I don't know what it is. But when someone's coming over, I want to make sure it smells good. Things are put away. It's clean. Honestly, I want them to walk in and be like, no one lives here. Like, that's what I want. As crazy as that sounds, I want model home status. And so for whatever reason, I can just imagine Zacchaeus, he's trying to, he hears about this guy, Jesus, sort of a celebrity. People are following him. He's trying his best just to get a glimpse of him. Then he points him out, makes him climb down a tree, and then says, by the way, hope your house is looking good. I'm coming over. Yeah. <laughs> Zacchaeus is going, did I put up all the robes? All the pots cleaned? Are there uh, any evidence of the party I had last night? Hope that's cleaned up. Not sure how Jesus feels about all of that. Um, Do I have something to offer Jesus? Does he even drink? I don't know. Uh, And this is what happens. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over. Ready or not, I am making myself a guest at your home. Now, today, coming over to someone's home is a big deal. Today, even in our culture, this is a big thing. There are a few things you can do that are as personal as going over to someone's house. And this is because when you walk into someone's house, you learn a lot about them. When you walk into someone's house, you learn if they are messy or if they just say they're not. If they're clean, you know uh, what kind of brands they buy if they shop at Sam's Club or Costco. You know what's in their fridge and what things they like to eat, what things they like to drink. You will learn about their family and their family structure and the pictures of their family and if their kids are behaved or not. You will learn a lot about a person. You will learn if they put the toilet paper over the roll or under. And there is a right answer, okay? Because listen, you should never trust anyone who gets toilet paper like this. Just don't. Just don't. You'll learn a lot. Everything you need to know about someone, you can figure out by walking through their home. It's a very personal thing for us today. But this was even more personal then. In their culture, to be a guest at someone's house was a huge deal. This signified unity. This signified connection and kinship. This was so important. The religious leaders at the time had set up a system around who you can and cannot be affiliated with at their home. Because they didn't want you to catch some kind of sin disease by hanging out in the wrong person's house. And so they put a religious system around who you can hang out with. To be culturally invited into someone else's house was a huge deal. And yet Jesus would say, I don't care if Zacchaeus is on your cultural list. I don't care if he's seen as worthy enough to, to interact with me. I want Zacchaeus. I want to be affiliated I want to be connected. The reason they had outcast Zacchaeus is because as we talked about last week, he was a chief tax collector. And essentially what he got paid to do was he's hired by the government to make profits off embezzling his own people. So he was hated, he was outcast. And what Luke points out is that he was good at it because he was very rich and he was a chief at it. And so this is one of those guys that the crowd would have labeled as too far gone. The crowd would have labeled as someone who you should not associate and connect yourself with. And yet Jesus says, before Zacchaeus has done anything, I'm coming to your house. I want you. I want relationship. I want intimacy. I want connection. Before Zacchaeus did anything. Here's why that's important. Love always takes the first step. Love always takes the first step. Here's what Jesus didn't do. Jesus didn't say, all right, Zacchaeus, come on down. Um, I'm gonna need you to apologize to everyone that you've stolen money from. I'm gonna need you to pay it back. 
I need you to get on a plan, take off the interest, get back their money, and then come over to your house. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, come on down. I need you to just believe in me. Do you believe I'm the savior? Okay, then I'm gonna come over to your house. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, how about this? How about you, you come down, you renounce what you're doing, you get rid of this tax collector business, you get your life right, you attend church for a while, you come to some classes, you say a prayer two or three times, we dunk you, and then come over to your house. Before he had done anything, love took the first step. And as churches and as Christians, sometimes we don't always get this right. And some of you have been the victim of this. Or we say everyone's welcome and then everyone's loved, but then, oh, not if you wear that. Or, oh, not if you believe that. Or, uh, yeah, you're welcome, but you really got to figure this part out and get that cleaned up, and then we'll really, truly welcome you. And yet what Jesus would say is, Christ follower, not so with you. Not so with you. Regardless of what they're currently doing, regardless of the situation they find themselves in, regardless if they believe or not, they can belong. And Jesus had a heart for Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus had a heart for Jesus. And this is a game changer for him. It would be this love and taking a first step that would change everything for Zacchaeus. And when it comes to loving our neighbors, we can sometimes fall into the same trap. And we can go, yes, I love the neighbor next door who respects me. Uh, It's easy to love the neighbor who follows all of the HOA rules and always puts their trash can up in time and always cuts their grass on the right side. That's an easy neighbor to love. But then there are other neighbors that we say we're loving. We say, yeah, we go to church and we love our neighbors. But then we have conditions. And I can't extend love unless you respect me first. I can't extend love unless you do something for me. And I just wonder if that's what Jesus meant by love your neighbor. Because maybe his plan for you in the forced relationship with neighbor, with the person you didn't choose in a spot you're just trying to survive, what if he has a purpose for you there? And that's to love first and love where you live. This is how Jesus interacted with everyone. In fact, we even see him interacting with his own guys. I mentioned a second ago, he was passing through Jericho in the story on the way to Jerusalem. And it was in Jerusalem he would spend his final days on earth. It was in Jerusalem where he would be caught, murdered, tortured, and raised again to save all of humanity. He was on the way to do something. And before he had this moment where he is murdered on a cross, he has one last gathering with his guys. And these are the guys that he had been hanging out with, the guys who had been following after him, who had given everything to chase after him and he gets them together one last time. And can you just imagine if you had one last meal or gathering with your closest friends, what you would say? Like, what would this moment be? You know that your life is done, your mission is done. They are the ones that then take the church forward and you have one last moment with them. What does that look like? Well, Jesus starts really weird. And he would take off his robe and tie it around his waist, which would signify that he was laying down all of his authority. And he would get on the ground and begin to wash their feet. This is something that only servants would do. As he's washing their feet, they're kind of weirded out by the moment. And can I just say something? Listen, I know I'm one of your pastors, but I draw the line at washing feet. 
I'm sorry. Listen, I think I love people really well, but I'm just not going to do that, okay? I, I can't imagine feet for me. They're just gross. And so for Jesus to do this in this day when roads aren't nearly as clean as they are, they were always walking around sandals. They didn't get baths very often. They weren't wearing nice Jordans. For him to do that in this season, I would have just been like, Jesus, that's great. I'm out. Like that's the, everything else you said I can deal with, but that one, I don't know. And so he's washing the feet of his disciples to signify I'm serving, I'm giving up what's mine, I'm loving you. And then he gets up and here's how he sums up this moment. He says this, a new command I give you. John's recording this in chapter 13 and he goes, a new command? I mean, he's probably getting out the notebook to go, Jesus, you've said so many things over these three years. You have just talked through so much and this is your last night. You are giving us a brand new command. So they're all leaning in. What could this new command from Jesus be, this last word he wants to give us? And he says, it's a new command I give you, love one another. And they're going, Jesus, that's not new. Jesus, you, you haven't shut up about that. That's all you have said is love, 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 love. love one. We get it, Jesus. Why is that new? And he says this, you know, as I have loved you, so now you must love one another. He got incredibly personal because he would have been looking around that room at the, the guys in front of him and he, they would have realized, oh, how Jesus loved me. He would have said, Matthew, remember how I loved you? You were a tax collector. You were like Zacchaeus. You were stealing from your own people. You were greedy, out for yourself. You were outcast and pushed away from society. And how did I love you? I brought you in. I loved you in spite of your mess. I didn't ask you to clean it up and then come follow me. You just followed me and somewhere along the way you fell in love with me. That's how I loved you in spite of what your label was. He'd look around the room and go, Nathaniel, remember how I loved you? Remember the first time we met Nathaniel? You said nothing good comes out of Nazareth. You insulted my whole family, bro. And how did I love you? I made you one of my best friends. I didn't care that you offended me. I let it roll off. And I loved in spite of it. And we developed a friendship. And thinking, that's how I loved you. He's looking at Peter. Peter, how did I love you? You were a fisherman. You were outcast. You were low class. You smelled really bad. How did I love you? I made you one of mine. I gave you belonging. I saw the gold that was in you. And I continued to see potential and pour into someone who even at times messed it up. In fact, Peter, you don't even know this. In a few, just, just a few moments, you're gonna deny me. You're gonna say you never knew me. All of this is gonna be for nothing, but I still am loving you. He's going, Judas, let's not even get started on this one, bro. You don't even know what you're about to do. This, all of this is about to take place. My greatest suffering all because of you. How you stabbed me in the back. How you gave me up how you threw away everything I've ever done for you. You have no boundaries. You have no empathy. You have no care. How have I loved you, Judas? I just washed your feet. When Jesus turned this on the head and said, as I have just loved you, that is what it looks like to love one another. He meant without conditions. He meant regardless of their mess. Yeah. 
He meant regardless of whether or not they give that love back to you. He said, just as I have loved you, that's what you do. That's how you love one another. That's how the church moves forward. And then he blew it all up by this statement. He said, and by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By that kind of love. Not how often you go to the temple. Not how much you post on Facebook and make sure your words are great. Not how many followers you have on Instagram. Not how you know, great your quiet times are every week and you do 20 minutes and check it off and that's awesome. But by this kind of love, the kind of love that's not deserved, the kind of love that's not earned, the kind of love that doesn't make sense, it's this kind of love that will completely stop the world in its tracks because the world can't understand this kind of love. There's something about this kind of love that's different. There's something about this kind of love that's modeled by Jesus. And it's this kind of love that he would say would change the world forever to just go love like that. This is so countercultural because our world would say, I will love you if you love me first. I will love you if you're in the same political party as me. Sorry, I will love you if you have the same religious tradition. I will love you if, the world says, I will love you if. You earn it, I will give it. And Jesus says, not with you, Christian. Your love takes the first step. You love before it's earned. You love before it's deserved. You love if they look different, sound different, smell different, are different. You love first because that kind of love is how they will know you are my disciples. And here's the deal. Christians, shouldn't we be the best at this? Because this is how God loved us. In 1 John 4.10, John, one of the guys who witnessed all of this, he's at the very end of his life and he's trying to just record down sort of what is the core of Jesus? Who was he? I wanna leave all who follow after me with something they can take hold of and understand about Jesus. And so he ends by writing this and he's trying to sum up this love of Jesus. And he says, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And that he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. He died for you before you did anything about it. He died for you before you earned it. He died for you before you did anything to deserve it. That's the kind of love that Jesus has given us when we were at our farthest, at our most broken, at our most removed, before we were cleaned up. That's when Jesus died for us. And so what Jesus is saying, would you then take that and extend that to other people? Would you just take that kind of love, unconditional, not earned, not merited, and would you just give away the same kind of love that you have been shown? And if you will take the love that you have been given from Jesus and pass that back out, that is how we change the world. That is how you love where you live we should be the best at it. So I love that John Newman sit back and go, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that it saved this wretch like me. And when we realize that we were that neighbor that moved into the neighborhood, that we were that person on the outs, that we were that person that was broken and that Jesus loved us anyway, it should change everything for us. It's about to change everything for Zacchaeus. But we'll get to that next week. Where I wanna end is I actually wanna throw back up this matrix. And if these are your five, if they're five that you've selected, 
And we've decided, okay, let's go out of our way to stop to intentionally notice them, notice that they're around, that God has placed us around some neighbors that we are nearby. If these are your five, last week we just said, learn their names. So if you're behind like my wife and I are, catch up on that this week. But then here's what I want you to do this week. Take one action of love. One action of love. Now, here's the deal. Jesus invited himself over. Don't do that. He's Jesus. He can get away with it. You can't, okay? Don't do that. Have some boundaries. But you can invite them over. Or maybe you're not ready for that yet because you got kids and they seem kind of weird. And so you're not ready to do that. But maybe you could take them a meal. Maybe you could make it even smaller. Maybe you could take them cookies. Maybe you drop a gift card in their mailbox. And I would challenge you to do this. You don't have to. This is like extra credit if you just really want the gold star. But maybe even go after someone who you don't know very well or who you disagree with. Maybe the one that you've had the most fights with. Maybe the one when we started the series and I said, do you love where you live? And you said, I would if they would move. Maybe start there. And this week, can you just do one thing of love? They haven't earned it. They might not deserve it. They might've shown you nothing but disrespect, but love goes first. And what would happen if we all decided with our five to step out into all the different pockets of spheres of influence that God has placed us in, and we all began to love first, I think it would begin to change our community. This is how we tangibly love where we live. Let me pray for us. God, I honestly, I'm just excited for the week ahead. Because I see so many of us in the room that you have just shown so much grace to. God, you have loved us at our worst. Our brokenness hasn't scared you away. Our messiness hasn't turned you away. God, I pray that we would just this week be able to take that and extend it to others. That we would do maybe even the very difficult task of just loving first. God, I'm excited for the people in our spheres of influence who are going to discover hope this week. For our five around us that are so in desperate need of the love that you show each and every one of us. God, I am so excited for what you're about to do. God, I'm feeling for the person in the room who has been praying for purpose, and yet here it is. They were looking out there, but you have given it to them right here. And you're about to start an incredible story in their five and in their community. God, thank you for this morning. So God, in these next few moments, we sing about your heart. It's your name I pray. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.